together. Uh, what a beautiful, beautiful song. We're looking forward to learning that one uh, over the next few weeks. In Matthew chapter number 6, looking at verses 25 through 34, uh, taking a larger portion of Scripture than what we're used to, especially if you compare it to our study of Hebrews, uh, as we are spending a number of weeks uh, on each individual verse. Uh, but this, tonight we're going to be dealing with the subject of take no thought for your life. Take no thought for your life. In this passage, our Lord deals with the very common, uh, everyday human condition and deals with what is known as worry or anxiety. Uh, these are very personal sections of Scripture to many, many people uh, for the uh, one main reason is that we all at some point in time uh, deal with bouts of anxiety and bouts of worry. It is a rare individual to meet someone that says, I never worry and I'm never anxious about anything. I often ask myself the question, are they telling me the entire truth? Because anxiety and worry is almost as common as the sunrise. Uh, we are, we are uh, taken by fits of anxiety, some days worse than others. But the Lord in this particular passage uses this expression of take no thought. He uses it uh, three times. And it is connected with these uh, common daily aspects of our lives. In verse 25, to take no thought is connected with the overall picture. Take no thought for your life. In verse 31, it is connected with, take no thought for what you shall eat, what you shall drink, or what you shall wear. And finally, in verse 34, it is connected with, take no thought for tomorrow. So we have, take no thought for your life, take no thought for what you eat, drink, or wear, and take no thought for tomorrow. Uh, that is covering a large portion of the human experience. When we talk about anxiety, our Lord here is teaching us not just how, but why we are to put away anxiety. Uh, it would be one thing for our Lord to simply say, don't do this. It's another thing that he says, don't do this, and here's why. Our Lord was a master teacher at this, wasn't he? He was a master teacher at how do I take a subject like this and make my people understand. Uh, oftentimes, many of us come from backgrounds where maybe uh, you were brought up in an environment where uh, anxiety and worry just wasn't tolerated. Uh, you might have been in an environment where uh, you lived in a very stern environment that said you're just not allowed to be worried, you're not allowed to be anxious. Uh, you may have been in a church situation where you were told any form of anxiety, any form of worry is sinful. And so there is the line that we're going to see what the Lord says about this anxiety and worry. So we're going to just, instead of reading the entire text, we're going to go in a line by line, each verse, and we'll make comments on each one of these. So verse 25, let's begin there. It says, Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body. What ye shall put on is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment. Now notice, therefore, 
is in order for us to be connected with what we learned last week about having one master and one aim in life. We are to set our eyes and set our aim, our goal in life, on Jesus Christ and his glory. In order to do that, uh, we have to get ourselves out of the way. The, the biggest problem we have as uh, people in this world is ourself. Uh, we are our greatest problem. It is, it's been said many, many times. The greatest problem we have is the person that's looking back at us every morning when we look in the mirror. And so the Lord here is telling us that we must be able to seek or stop seeking our, and serving ourselves that often leads to a distress and a worry which all self-seeking involves. You realize how much effort it takes to serve yourself. Uh, it is exhausting to continue to try to serve yourself and to make sure all things are taken care of. The take no thought for your life, that expression take no thought, uh, means uh, literally be not anxious. And the thoughts that he's, me he's mentioning here is take no distracting thought for your life. Anything that distracts you from the aim, the goal in your life needs to be put aside. Now you're saying at this point that's much easier said than done. Of course it is. If anxiety and worry was that easy to put away, we would just say, hey, stop it. Stop doing that. Uh, you know, why are we worried so much about these things? Now, uh, we may at times be anxious and we may be brought to those places, but we really should not be anxious for anything. Our most pressing bodily wants should not overwhelm our minds or our life. Now, I want to give you another passage that really gives us another portion of biblical support for this. And this is in a familiar passage in Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul, of course, uh, writing to the church at Philippi. And he deals with this anxiety or worry, although he does not use the same terminology of take no thought, but you can see the similarity here. Philippians 4 verse 6, Paul writes these words, be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now what Paul now mentions in verses 8 and 9 is the means in which we should turn our attention to thinking Take no thought for your life is what Jesus says. Paul is saying we ought to turn our minds to think on things that are pure and things that are true. Notice what he says. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Now, although Jesus in his teaching does not use these exact words, 
the idea or the principle of take no thought for your life goes hand in hand with what Paul was saying about be careful for nothing. There is an intentional change in our thought process that must take place. If we spend our days worried and anxious about the things which we are facing, whether it's later tonight or tomorrow, and that engrosses our minds, you are as a natural result are going to find yourself anxious and worried all the time. Now, Jesus, in the very first illustration here, talks about even the most needful thing each one of us have every day. And I don't think Jesus did this by coincidence. He starts with, take no thought for your life, what you'll eat and what you'll drink. Now, if we were to narrow down human life into the two most important things for existence, it would be food and drink, having food and having something to drink. He takes the greatest need we all have, And he says, take no thought for these two things. Now, if we're not to take thought for the two biggest things we have in our lives, where do you think everything else that engrosses us falls on that list? What Jesus is clearly teaching here is even our most needed bodily wants and needs should not overwhelm our minds. The point here that Jesus is teaching is that our life is more important than the food we eat or even the clothes that we wear. If God who gave us life, God is going to give us bread, he's going to give us water, and he's going to give us clothing. The principle here is is we should care much more about how we live more than how we will eat. There is a spiritual lesson here. The spiritual should always come before the bodily. Now, you know, by human nature, oftentimes when we first arise in the morning, our first instinct is to take care of bodily needs before we take care of spiritual needs. That's the way we're often wired. But do you know that in our life, the most important need we have is not food and drink, it's spiritual and so what Jesus is, is giving us here, he's, he's putting things in the proper order. The spiritual should always go before the bodily. We should be thinking eternally before we think temporally. What we wear is of very little importance when it's compared to what we are spiritually. That's what Jesus is teaching here. What you wear really has no bearing on what you are spiritually. That's what matters. What am I spiritually? So what Jesus sets the foundation here is by teaching us is that our chief concern, our chief care should be to that which is most important, which is our one object or aim in life, which is what? The glory of God, which is what we learned last week. Now he goes on and he gives a number of illustrations. He says, behold, in verse 26, behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not... Neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? There's an obvious question here. If the birds are fed by God, isn't he going to feed you? They are free from fretting and hoarding and buying and selling and trading. The bird, when it flies out of its nest in the morning or out of its den or out of the tree, whatever it's doing, it is not fretting over being fed. 
It goes and it trusts that it will be taken care of. Now, why are we not the same way? Why are we not the same as the fowls of the air? If the birds can go into the air, they don't sow anything, and yet they reap. They don't store anything really, yet they're provided for. The illustration here is that surely if he supplies the needs of the fowl, he's certainly going to supply us with the needs when we trust him to meet those needs. Now imagine it would be possible for us to have those things provided for us every day and forget God in the midst of it. You know, oftentimes we spend every day and, and we get what we need and we fail, to, we fail to thank God for that provision for that day. It becomes something we assume is always going to be there. But what is happening here is that our Lord would have us as his children give ourselves over to his glory and his service and not be worried about things and anxiety that will drive us into the ground. One of the open secrets of the Bible is this, is that it's very good for us to have these daily wants because it leads us directly to He who gives us those things, which is our Heavenly Father. I dare say if we had all those needs provided for us without ever having to think about it, we would be in a tendency to forget God. Yet what is happening here is we are dependent upon our Heavenly Father. But do you know what happens when you grow anxious and you become worried? Now they become means in which you not only forget God, but you almost, in a sense, begin to put him out of your thought process. So what we understand here is that Jesus is teaching that we ought to be like the birds are, not in outward appearance, but in their how they trust. One of the keys to overcoming anxiety and worry is trusting in your Heavenly Father. And I'm not talking about a partial trust. I'm talking in a full, wholehearted trust that my God, my sovereign God in heaven, knows what I have need of before I have need of it, and He knows what He needs to provide for me. And what, what, look what Jesus says. Are ye not much better than they? Now this is a clear declaration that we are better than the fowls of the air. Now I know that there are organizations and groups out there that say that the animals are on the same level as we are. They're not. That's what Jesus' point is. If I'm taking care of an inferior creature, am I not going to take care of you? It's really remarkable how simple Jesus, the terms that he uses, and yet how convicting this is to our soul when we think, well, of course I want to be as trusting, I want to be as trusting as a fowl of the air. Yet how many days do we spend fretting and anxious about things like this? In verse 27, he goes on, he says, which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? Now, really, in the scope of life, I know humankind makes a bigger deal over this, but Jesus is really saying two things here. Really, what difference does it make, first of all, if you're tall or short? What difference does it really make? It makes no difference at all. And even if it did, 
All the worry in the world. If you worry every day about I'm too tall or I'm too short. How many of you, by worrying about it, will add one inch to your stature? And the answer is what? None. Which is teaching us something about anxiety and worry. Why do we give ourselves over to care and anxiety and worry about things you cannot change? Do you realize your anxiety, my anxiety, your worry has never changed the outcome on a single thing? It's never even altered it. Think about how much fretting we've done over our lifetimes about things that we could not change. That's what Jesus is talking. The the point is not about growing an inch taller, being taller or shorter. He's saying that's how foolish it is to worry about something you can't alter. Now, if fretting actually changed the outcome, right? If being anxious actually changed the outcome of something, then we might have an excuse or a reason to worry. But do you realize worrying has never changed an outcome ever in all of human history? We're not given one Bible example of where a person was worrying and they changed the outcome. We're not given one example of where somebody was anxious and the outcome changed. Yet do you know that I think if you were to survey most people in this country about how much of their day they spend in anxiety or worry, we would probably be staggered because we're always worried about something. And then verses 28 and 29 are really together. He puts again another illustration here. And why take ye thought for raiment, clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. In other words, why do you make such a big deal about your clothing? Or why do you worry about being dressed in the finest clothes? Jesus is making something, he's saying something very remarkable here about the lilies of the field. He is saying, consider the lilies of the field. In other words, they're a better example than the most finely dressed person. He's actually saying that the lilies of the field, no matter how you array yourself, are arrayed better than you. <laughs> and you know how you know how some people, and again, I don't think this is a he's not this isn't a sin against having nice things and having clothes, but he's saying if you're fretting over this, you realize that no matter how grand of a out of a wardrobe you get, the lilies of the field are still arrayed better than you are. But he goes one step further. He says, you should not even be anxious about how you'll be dressed. Those field lilies, now it's very important that he calls them field or the lilies of the field. And you know why? Because the lilies of the field are not under the care of a gardener. In other words, these are wild. This is not someone who's taking care of them, making sure they have enough water, making sure they have enough nutrients, making sure the soil's turned over, making sure their roots are healthy. And what is he saying? These untended lilies of the field are arrayed better than you are. Now think about this for a moment. He's going to use the example of Solomon. Now what's amazing here about Solomon is Solomon was also known to have been arrayed in some of the finest 
raiment that mankind ever knew. He was not only one of the wisest men in the world, but he was also one of the wealthiest men in the world. This man was arrayed in uh, wardrobes that today would be jaw-dropping to people in their cost and in their appearance. But these lilies, these lilies come without any fret and any anxiety. Now, why in the world, Jesus is saying, do we fret and kill ourselves being overly concerned and care about that which God gives to plants which don't care? (laughs) Do you know the lily of the field does not care what it looks like? (laughs) The lily never sits in the field and says, and I'm not trying to be irreverent, says to the other lily, you know what? We look good today. You know what? You're not looking too good today. They don't care. But yet Jesus says these lilies of the field are better than you who fret over this every day and do nothing really to even rise to that level. So he goes on and again, tying verse 30 to this, he says, Wherefore, we'll come back to Solomon in a minute, Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, Shall he not much more clothe you? Now, here is where an accusatory phrase that Jesus uses that I think sometimes when we study our Bible, we're afraid to be confronted with this. What's that next phrase? O ye of little faith. Now there's a connection between a failure of our faith and anxiety. Now, if these things are as they are. Christ is asking then whether by taking thought, number one, or worry, can you add a single cubit to your stature? If you could, if you could do that, you might have an excuse to do it. But you cannot do anything to increase your stature, nor can you do anything, as Jesus teaches about the lilies, Even Solomon, he says, in all of his grand raiment, could not excel the lilies of the field which do nothing for themselves. There's an important truth here. It is not merely, and this is important, it's not merely that the lilies grow. Okay, don't don't miss this. It's the fact that God himself clothes them with that beauty. Is everybody following that? This is tempting for us just to say, okay, well, he makes the lilies grow. Do you know how many times Jesus in these few verses has pointed to the beauty of these lilies? This means that God himself in his sovereignty and his providential hand, and this is mind-blowing to me, folks. He is even arraying the lilies of the field. If he's taking care of them, How much more is he taking care of you? Do you see how it almost brings us to a point of conviction already where we say, why in the world did I worry about that all day long today? You know, the first time I read this passage, every time I'd pass a field and I would see just flowers growing wild, it made me think of this passage. And sometimes God in his providence just happened to have me by a spot when I was going through a period of anxiety where I would see some, some... field flowers and I would think 
Why am I concerned about that if God's taking care? And look at the beauty of those flowers in the field. See, it's not that God just makes them grow. It's the fact that God actually gives them surpassing beauty. If Solomon could not excel them, even in his array of gold, I will tell you this, it's been said that Solomon even had clothing that was lined with pure gold. Now think about this, what he's saying. The lilies of the field are even more beautiful than that full array of Solomon's gold-lined clothing. If he'll take care of the lilies of the field, will he not take care of us? Do we really believe that we are precious in the sight of our Father? Do we really believe that we are precious and that we are truly loved? He who loved us first, not that we loved him, but that he loved us first and Christ gave his life for us. Isn't he going to take care of our daily needs? This is one of those subjects when we hear it preached and taught, we think, well, certainly I shouldn't be worried about these things. But this is one of those messages that two minutes after we say amen and we walk out the doors, we're confronted with the anxiety and the fretting and the worries that we had when we got here. God has a way of making sure that a sermon application gets applied almost immediately. Because it's probably safe for me to say that everybody here today and everybody on live stream can simply say, there's something right now I'm anxious about. There's something I'm worried about, or there's something I feel like I should be worried about. Jesus is trying to take our minds from being these finite minds that, don't, that only think in the temporal and thinking in the eternal. Now, this, is a, this isn't a misquote. I'm, I'm not correcting the Bible. But when he says, O ye of little faith, don't change the word and say, O ye of a little fault. Oh, this is a little problem. When Jesus associates little faith in Scripture, and you compare Scripture with Scripture, when he's used that terminology, it's been in a strong rebuke, and it's been in a strong admonition. When he told the disciples, O ye of little faith, who when they could not perform those miracles, and this only comes by prayer and fasting, and he, 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 he wasn't in sinful anger, but he was rebuking them, saying, little faith is not okay. So what is Jesus really teaching us anxiety and worry really is? It's about of little faith. Where I might know what I'm supposed to think. I may know what I'm supposed to react. But this is a grieving thought. Because I know that if I am overwhelmed with my anxieties and my worry, I'm having times of little faith. To actually think that the Lord who clothes those lilies of the field will leave his children with nothing is almost at the point of shame. Why would I think God would do that to something that he has called so precious because of his son? We need to understand little faith is connected to our anxiety and our worries. We read that passage in Philippians 4 to remind us when Paul said, be careful for nothing. Think on these things. So how are we going to overcome anxiety and worry? It's like this, by thinking on the truths of who God is. 
thinking on who God really is. Who is God? Jesus simply says here, he says, are you not much better than they? Now notice verse 31. Therefore, here's that second time, take no thought saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed? He puts it there. You know these things now, be not anxious. You have no reason to be anxious. Don't find yourself following the world's catalog of cares. Really what anxiety and and worry is, is a level of distrust. Now I say this to you not because I have mastered every bit of anxiety and worry in my life because I would be lying to you. I have horrible bouts of this still. But I also need to be confronted with the reality that when I'm having these moments, this is not a problem with God. This is a problem with me. It's not that God's given me a reason to distrust Him. And I have to be reminded of these truths. Now notice Jesus again. Now He's bringing in this part of the passage, this sermon, into a conclusion. Verse 32 is not there by coincidence. He says, for after all these things do the Gentiles seek. Now this is an important phrase. Because he's saying that we should not excel the things that the Gentiles, these aliens, these foreigners, is what this means, are seeking after. What they're after, what the world is after, is not good enough for you. Seek something higher. Seek something better. Don't allow your mind to be convoluted with drink and food and clothing. Think higher. What are the men of this world, what, what, is, what is the unbelieving world primarily seeking after? They're seeking after the things that are earthly. They're seeking after the things that bring them happiness and joy and contentment now. But do you know for the unbelieving mind, the unbelieving soul, their mind is really not looking beyond this life. Folks, this does not mean that there are not things that make us anxious, that we're not going to have rough times. But what we do need to understand is we need to have a mind that seeks something beyond this world. It's, it's having an eternal perspective. Remember what our aim was learned last week was about treasures in heaven, not treasures on earth. If our Father knows about our necessities, notice he says, for your heavenly Father knows that ye have need of all these things. What things? Food, clothing, and drink. If he knows about it, then you don't need to be anxious. How many times do we pray telling God what we need? Now I know we're told to pray and we're told to ask, and we're going to deal with this a little bit in the next couple of weeks. But do you realize that our prayers asking or telling God is not information to him? He doesn't say, oh, I didn't know you had need of food and drink and raiment. I'm glad you came to me and informed me because I didn't know that. No, of course he knows that. The Gentiles here, he's given an illustration of what the Gentiles seek after, which they seek after earthly objects. But the children of the Lord leave their earthly concerns and they leave those needs to God's grace. 
we really need to pray. And I don't know if you've ever been brave enough to pray, uh, Lord, teach me to be a non-anxious, non-worrying believer. Teach me to be without anxiety. Teach me to be without worry. How, what's the, what is the key to overcoming that is to have a mind that is looking beyond the things of this world and is looking towards the world to come. Jesus puts all this together, verse 33. But seek ye first. That's important. That word first. A lot of people want to seek the kingdom of God second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, maybe 50th. You ask them, are you, seeking, are you seeking the kingdom of God? And they say, oh yeah, I'm seeking the kingdom of God. That's not what he says. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Then what's the promise? And his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Is seeking the kingdom of God being anxious? No. Is seeking the kingdom of God first fretting and being worried? No. Seeking the kingdom of God first is understanding that as I seek him first, all these things I won't have to seek him for. Because they will, be, they will come as a matter of my aim in life. Folks, listen for a minute. Can you think that the God of all creation, who gave you the greatest gift, which is Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, do you think at the end of it all that He's suddenly going to take that all away and deny you what He's promised? Now again, don't let this turn into a prosperity gospel message that says, listen, I'll never be poor and I'll never be hungry. I'll never have times of trouble and difficulty. If you live long enough, it's almost a guarantee you're going to go through some lean periods of time where you're going to wonder, has God forgotten me? But I can assure you, He hasn't forgotten you and He still knows what you have need of. But the kingdom of God and His righteousness for an individual who's suitable for that kingdom, seeks the kingdom of God first and foremost. Once you've done that, everything you could possibly need will be given to you. How do we seek God's kingdom first? We promote Christ. We put Christ first. We practice righteousness. We observe holiness. We make Jesus Christ the aim of our life. Remember what we learned about the treasures in heaven last week? It was really making our aim one person. Folks, really the cure for anxiety and, and worry and fret. This sounds so simplistic and it's almost people walk away and they say, that didn't help me at all. If this doesn't help you, there's not much that can. Because your help is in the Lord. Your help is in what you seek first. That's why I read that portion in Scripture where Paul says, think on these things. This is an intentional change of mind. Consider it a little bit of a repentance. Say, look, Lord, I've had my mind on the wrong thing. I'm thinking about all my earthly needs, and I've not been seeking the kingdom of God first. Really, when we seek the kingdom of God first, Christ is our all in all. We spend our life on this one thing 
And if you come to the end of your life and you have spent your life on Christ, that will be a life well spent. Listen, there's always going to be a hundred different objects of our life that we're after or we're looking forward to. But we're told, taking last week's message and this week's message together, we're only to pursue one thing only and all these other things will be added unto us. The cure for anxiety is not in a pill. The cure for anxiety is in Jesus Christ. He truly is. Now again, I, I stand before you as somebody who has been paralyzed by fear before. I stand before you as a person who's been in the throes of deep depression before. I don't stand before you saying, listen, this is easy and I've always done it. But I will tell you this, there's only one way that you find yourself back to where you're supposed to be. And there's an intentional seeking first of the kingdom of God. You don't just sit there and wait for yourself to recover. There has to actually be a change of mind where you say, I've been seeking the wrong things. I've been worried about what I'm going to eat, what I'm going to drink, what I'm going to do, what's going to happen tomorrow, what's going to happen... I can't do anything about yesterday and I can't do anything about tomorrow. Both of those things have enough. Tomorrow's got enough worry of itself. But what am I supposed to do? Here's what Jesus says. Take therefore, here it is again, no thought for the morrow. Do you know how hard it is for you not to fret about tomorrow? Yet we're fretting about something that hasn't even happened yet. We're worried about something that hasn't happened. Why? Because we've built up in our mind what tomorrow is going to look like. He goes on and he says, For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. As we wrap this up, understand all these former verses bring this argument to this therefore. Take therefore. We learn these basic principles. Anxiety cannot help you. Verse 27 teaches us that. Anxiety does not help you, nor will it ever help you. Nobody's ever going to prescribe to you. You know what you need to do to help yourself? Be anxious. If a person prescribes that for you, you're dealing with a person that really is not in their right mind. Anxiety doesn't help you. It's useless. As Jesus is teaching, actually to be anxious is to bring you down to the level of the Gentile or the heathens in verse 32. And verse 33 teaches us that really there is no need for anxiety. Don't be anxious about the future. What is our business? Our business is about today. Remember when we learned the Lord's Prayer? What was the prayer? Give us this day our future bread. No, our daily bread. We are supposed to live like day-by-day dependence upon our Father. We're only to ask bread day-by-day, and we're only to ask for a sufficient amount for the day's consumption. To bring back the sorrows of tomorrow into the thoughts of today is not only going to lead you into a deep throw of anxiety and fretting, but it's also going to put you into a position of distrust and unbelief. If you're already worried beyond measure about tomorrow, I can always assure you two things. You're already anxious, you're already fretting, and you're already in a state of distrust, and you're, in a sense, you're in unbelief. 
Why? Because Jesus has just proved to us that there's no reason to be anxious, there's no reason to be in unbelief, and there's no reason to distrust him. Because he's proved himself to us. When tomorrow brings the sorrow, God will bring the strength for that sorrow. Today will require all that we have just to deal with the evils of this day. (laughs) You and I don't have enough capacity and strength to deal with tomorrow's sorrows and tomorrow's sins because we got enough to deal with today. There's absolutely no need to bring back the sorrows and the evils of tomorrow. To load today with trials that have not yet arrived is to overload yourself. Now, look, anxiety happens, worry happens, but what does Jesus say anxiety and worry really is? He says it's to have little faith. In a sense, to have anxiety about things that have not even happened is to really be unexcusable. Jesus does not make a provision and saying, it's okay to be worried about tomorrow. There's not a portion of Scripture I can point you to that Jesus says it's okay to fret about tomorrow. Now, should we be looking for the future and thinking about our eternal souls? Absolutely. Should we be pointing people to Christ? Absolutely. But are we to worry about tomorrow? No. May our heart be brought to the place when we say, All of the concerns, all of my life, I give them to the Lord. I can't live in tomorrow, so don't fret about it. It is absolutely crazy, that's a big theological word, crazy to worry about tomorrow. You're living right now. Think of today. Spend today in God's grace. Spend today in the glory of God and leave the care about tomorrow. Leave it to the Father who knows what you have need of. When tomorrow comes, then we look to Jesus, we look to Christ, we seek first the kingdom of God. That's the cure. That's the cure for anxiety and for fretting and for worry. Let's pray together, then we'll close with a hymn in just a moment. Let's pray. Father, we thank You, Lord, for this portion of Scripture and how incredibly helpful and challenging this is. Lord, we realize today in our humanity, we are prone to anxiety, we are prone to worry. But may we truly take and give heed to what we've heard this evening. Lord, these are not just words in a book. These are the words of our Lord that were, was delivered to His disciples to remind them of who their trust should be in. I can't help but think that these disciples did not even have a full understanding of what their tomorrow would look like. They certainly did not know that uh, some time later they would be forced and voluntarily would give up their lives. They would be martyred for their faith. Father, this is such an instructing moment that our Lord gave. And I pray that tonight we would take it for what it is. And that we would rejoice and glory in the fact that these words have been preserved for us even for this hour. Lord, I pray that as we are dismissed in just a moment, I pray that we would leave rejoicing in the great truths that we've learned and how this anxiety and worry and fret 
does not have to be our life. Strengthen our faith. Help us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We thank you. We praise you for all these things. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.